some Welsh people have described New Zealand as Wales on steroids. And it does feel like that in terms of the landscape. There's a familiarity, but it's massive. But also the landscape is so amazing. It's no wonder so many creatives come from here. It talks to you, the land, like it bubbles. It feels like Middle Earth. Hello, welcome to This Is My Cinema, the podcast from the British Independent Film Awards that's all about celebrating cinema. I'm Rihanna Dillon. And I'm Michael Leader. And together on this show, we're talking to the best and brightest members of the British filmmaking industry about the cinema experiences that most influence their lives as both film fans and filmmakers. Now, today's episode is very special because it's coinciding with the British Independent Film Awards, which are happening tonight. Yes, make sure that you head to YouTube or Facebook at 8pm tonight, where our host, Tom Felton, will be joined by an amazing array of glittering guests to announce the winners. Don't miss it. And even if you're feeling a bit worse for wear after that party, don't worry. We'll still be here with a brand new episode of the podcast tomorrow as well. Speaking of parties, we're kind of making our own. So, Michael, we are having our dream night in a cinema. Remind us what film you're going to make us watch. So, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, such a good film! And then... We need a perfect space to watch this fantastic film. Where are you taking us? How long have you got, Rihanna, to talk through the cinemas of my life? (laughs) (laughs) We have, I think, seven seconds. Go. (laughs) Well, I'd have to do a quick shout out to all the cinemas in Manchester growing up. The Printworks, (laughs) the Great Northern, the Odeon and Oxford Street. But the cinema that is greatly missed in Manchester that I would love to host this special screening at would be Corner House, the all-purpose art house complex. But I'd want to screen this in screen one at Corner House, the big Mm -hmm. screen. Admittedly, the Corner House has been regenerated into home in Manchester now, so that its legacy lives on. But for me, that room is where I saw so many of my favourite films when I was growing up as a teenager. I've been to home, but I wish I'd been there when it was Corner House, because that sounds like a really lovely night out. Now, I am very, very happy to share today's episode because it's with one of the most exciting actresses working today. She's on big budget TV like Dracula and his Dark Materials. She's been a total scene stealer in David Copperfield and she's the divine heart at the centre of St Maud. It's Morfydd Clark. Rihanna, I 100% agree. She's just one of those performers who totally steals the show in such a good way. She's been in so many of the great films of the last few years. Morfydd spoke to us from New Zealand where she's currently shooting Lord of the Rings and frankly I can't wait to see her in that as well. So we spoke about her work within the British independent film landscape, the shining new cinema that was a haven for her teenage self and also, which I really empathised with, the worst time for a toilet break during a film. Here she is, Morfydd Clark. Morfydd Clark, thank you so much for joining us today. So for the duration of our chat, this is your cinema. And one question we always kick off these conversations with is you have this dream cinema for an evening and we're all coming along to watch a film that you've chosen. Does a film come to mind that you'd like to show us? Well, the film I'd love to make everyone watch if ever I get the choice is Groundhog Day. I think it's also partly with my dad really liked it and I kind of played along with really liking it as well. And then as I grew older, I was actually like, wow, I get it now. Um, And I just kind of fell in love with Bill Murray in that and it's probably affected my taste in men probably quite negatively for most of my life. (laughs) But yeah, I think it would be that. It just never disappoints to kind of just transport me and make me laugh. And there's just like a nostalgia of watching it with my dad. I think those films that you kind of watch when you're not quite old enough to understand them are 
even more kind of because you you put so much effort into trying to get it. So the images of watching that in my head are really strong. It's really satisfying, isn't it, when you get each layer as you get older and you get more yeah. and more of the jokes. And then by the time you're, you know, fully fledged adult and you sit there and it's like the final joke clicks into place and you're like, oh, it just means so yeah. much more, doesn't it? Of All the effort that you've put in over the years. I remember the same with Toy Story, actually. That was one of the films that my dad was happy to put on because I think there was some that he found like terribly tedious. And also like I had this obsession with this program called Button Moon, which apparently is like the most boring kids program <laughs> that my parents just like anything but button moon and I couldn't understand why my dad loved Toy Story that much because I kind of found it quite scary and there were no hate to say it no princesses in it (laughs) and then I grew to love and understand it so I I guess these are two films you would have watched quite little then so what was your taste like as a kid and were you watching these films at home did you go to the cinema was there a cinema nearby well it seems I've been like obsessive all my life so I remember we had like this bootleg copy of Beauty and the Beast somehow that they got from Sweden when they were living there and I watched it every day until then they bought it and then the same with The Little Princess just like watch that. I've continually been a comfort re-watcher. I now say that it's because like, I want to really watch the performance and see what they've done. But I think actually it's just kind of safe space stuff. But that started very young, escaping into something where I knew the plot, knew the story, knew the highs and lows. So Beauty and the Beast was huge. And I, once I liked something, I, I really liked it. <laughs> you mentioned A Little Princess. I interviewed Alfonso Cuaron once. I think it was probably for gravity, but all I wanted to do was talk about a little princess. And it turns out that his son was the little boy in it, the little chimney sweep, which was a nice little tidbit that I never knew before. Yeah. I still weep when I watch it every time. And I I want to weep. (laughs) Like, make me cry. (laughs) So just that example there seems, you know, to say so much about what we go to cinema for. Do you go to the cinema for that big emotional response of crying, laughing, being terrified? I search for the feeling, I think, in songs and cinema, feeling like big inside. I like to like feel warm and lovely after watching a film. And I really enjoy films that don't do that, but I definitely have to prep myself and make myself experience that. So I feel that I get huge comfort and huge discomfort from cinema and sometimes like it takes me an awfully long time to watch something that I've read too many reviews about and I know it's going to be an ordeal and I'm desperate to experience that ordeal but also like I'm going to feel so much can't quite bear it yeah (laughs) that takes me back to was it the London Film Festival 2019 where if we were lucky we could have a day where we saw you in three films in four different roles <laughs> the personal history david copperfield saint maud and eternal beauty all at the same festival three very different yeah. films very different emotional tones and so do you tend to rather watch something like david copperfield than something like saint maud you have to steal yourself for that sort of a horror film yeah i definitely would re-watch copperfield more than saint maud and i'm fascinated by people who re-watch horror films because i'm definitely not in that group i love them and then i'm like i would never ever watch that again i love films about really good people i've never kind of been that into watching i don't know maybe it's because i was also very disneyfied <laughs> but yet yeah, mandu Iannucci actually has the balance of quite bleak and funny and occasionally warm that suits me quite well. I would happily watch actually any of his work again. Amanda is comforting to me. (laughs) When you say good people, like who? Who are the good characters that you've always kept close to you? 
don't know, maybe good people is wrong. I think The Little Princess was like, that character was actually hugely influential because it's someone trying to be good despite everything around them. And I think also the Mary Sue aspect of lots of Disney things. Also, I was very susceptible to like, yes, I'm an incredibly special, weird person. And yeah, (laughs) had to really shake that off to kind of become a more bearable human being. A film that really, really stuck with me, which I think about often, is this film called The Boy Who Stopped Talking. And I think this is, again, this was the first subtitled film I ever watched. And I think, again, with watching a film that you don't quite understand, you're more invested. And it was the same with these subtitles. Like I was about nine and was like, my mum has said that I can watch a film with subtitles because I'm so grown up. <laughs> and then it was an absolutely amazing film that my mum had got through work because she was working with the refugee community. And it was a Dutch film about this little boy who stops talking because his dad moves him to the Netherlands and he's angry. And it's mostly in one place. I think it looks quite low budget. And I think that was one of the first adult films I watched. And in that, there are people trying to do their best and be good people. And I think that was a big one for me. And when you start thinking on the level of then performing in films, so we have these two relationships mm-hmm. with what's on screen, there's sitting there watching it and then being in it. If when you're watching yeah. these films and you want to, you know, good people, you want to come out feeling warm and, and fuzzy, yeah. but then you've been in some pretty dark fantasy horror type films as well. Is it different when you're acting in it with a film like St. Maud, for example? Yeah, but I also felt that like with St. Maud, I felt that I guess it's not necessarily films about good people, but it's films that I think are full of empathy, which actually, considering how different they are, I think St. Maud, David Copperfield and Eternal Beauty are all filled with empathy Mm. because of the people who wrote and directed them. And so feeling a sense of care from the people making the film, I feel I can see a lot. Don't know if I actually can, but I think that's the feeling I search for. A kind of love and lack of judgment of all the characters. And Dickens also was like that. He would write kind of every type of person under the sun and they'd all should be there. We really wanted to talk about the cinemas that you visited when you were growing up. Because, you know, everyone's got like a local Odeon in Brighton. That's mine, which is just not that exciting to talk about. But did you have like a really nice one where you were? Well, I can't remember the cinema I went to when we were really little. But I remember I used to go with my best friend, Lori, and she was incredibly skinny. She was always much taller than me, but she was so skinny and she couldn't keep the chairs down. And I remember us going to see Hunchback of Notre Dame and her being continually like crushed by her chair. And then when I was about 12, they opened a massive new cinema in Cardiff Bay. And it was the most exciting thing ever. All the schools around were just talking about this new cinema, blah, blah, blah. And then it was decorated with modern glass that was blue and green. And it just was the coolest place ever to me then. It was one of those places where it had like an arcade area and you could eat. And then there was like an under 16s club as like a young teenager. It's just like, this is everything we'll ever need. And (laughs) yeah, I remember also that was one of the first places that my parents allowed me to go on my own because there's like a safety to the cinema. And I remember us going to see Moulin Rouge and we would just turn 12 and we were kind of like, this is a 12A. So that's quite grown up. And then we came out and we were like, it was a musical that was so silly. And then like, it was years later, I was like, oh, wow. But we kind of was like, God, we're going to see a 12A. It's going to be so dark, so serious. And then we were greeted with Baz Luhrmann 
and singing. <laughs> so the cinema was a big part and everything that came around having a cinema was a big part of all my friends' young teenagehood, definitely. We were talking about you showing us Groundhog Day, showing the world Groundhog Day. <laughs> Where are you envisioning this incredible screening of reliving the same day over and over and over again? So I've only been once, but my town has been really lucky recently, and I don't know what the state of it is now, that we have the tiniest, tiniest cinema in Penarth Pier, where it's three very long rows. Like I find small cinemas just so lovely. And this one also, in many ways, impractical space to have a cinema, but (laughs) the town wanted that cinema so badly that they managed to shoehorn it into this space. And it's kind of really special because you feel like you've all been invited to someone in there's living room. Yeah, that would be lovely. And people get married there and they can Mm. just put on loop films that they love as a couple or that they just love. And it's so funny just see all these people who aren't smokers who can't take a break outside to have a smoke instead just going and sitting in the cinema and being like, now I can rejoin the fray. Yeah, so I think it would be there. And I hadn't appreciated that one of the buildings in my town used to be a cinema. I've grown up very much with cinemas. Maybe it's more in Wales because lots of them were lost being a city thing. So to also get a cinema back in our town was amazing. That sounds lovely. And I love that picture you paint about the cinema being this sort of communal space where experiences happen and people come together. Mm. One question we like asking our guests is about finding a memory of a film that you're really glad you saw with a crowd, maybe a moment or a film in general where Mm. people jumping out of their seats or responding in some way. Does one come to mind? I love watching horrors in the cinema because I feel all like one giant lung all together. So there's been numerous horrors where I've kind of felt that sense of being one. But I think I saw Philomena in the cinema and the whole cinema took that first, oh my gosh, I'm going to cry intake of breath together. Men, women, old, young alike. And that was really amazing. And everyone then just completely gave in to crying because everyone had done it at once. And that was quite amazing. And then also the coming out of seeing something very emotional was just everyone was giving each other just such nice eyes coming out of the cinema I love obviously seeing like I saw Lord of the Rings in the cinema when I was 12 and it was just kind of completely like the same with the Harry Potter things like those epic stories but I love seeing really little films as well that you could choose to watch on your tv and the sound would be the same but I would never have got that moment of us all together feeling so much for this woman you mentioned horror there one of my well, it cherished moments from the last few years was seeing St. Maud in the oh, cinema. Stop. I mean, I, it, it was even when I think I saw the trailer for the first time and there's the bit with the drawing pins through mm. the shoes yeah. and the, the amazing sound effects of, of I stepping think into the shoes. think you were quite mean to put that in the trailer. <laughs> no, that, but... I was like, oh! <laughs> you say mean. I think it was... Everybody was talking about it afterwards. <laughs> yeah, true. Have you watched St. Maud with an audience? And what was it like if you did... Yes, I watched it in Toronto with an audience and it was amazing because it was Midnight Madness. And so it's like Mm. really hardcore, really excited horror fans who are staying up at midnight to watch a film and are so passionate and just hungry for horror content. And yeah, I was sitting behind quite a tall man who was like squirming and things. And I just couldn't believe that I was inducing that type of fear. (laughs) But also I was with my sister. She is not very good with horror she kind of becomes a bit hysterical. And I remember we were watching Goodnight Mommy and she ran into the other room. And instead of just stopping watching it, she's like, what's happening now? What's (laughs) happening now? But she kept on covering her eyes before all the bad bits happened. And I was like, you can't do that. (laughs) 
giving every jump scare away but yeah it was wonderful and it's also whenever I work on something film tv or stage it's so hard to predict the bits that a group of people will find funny and so also there was so much more laughter than I expected Mm -hmm. which then I was like just you wait so (laughs) (laughs) it is a very very funny film but what was it like that specific moment that I have I've seen some three times and I've jumped every single time at that specific moment where Jennifer Ely becomes a demon (laughs) yes what was it like for you watching that moment well, to be honest, Jennifer was quite frightening without all the special effects. She's so like amazing that I was like, oh, didn't know that was in there. That is a bit that has actually scared me. And those, I was so excited by all just the special effects because we were really lucky to have practical effects. But I didn't appreciate how many kind of um, digital effects. So those are the bits that can still kind of get me. But they toned her voice down and obviously made her face terrifying. But Jennifer is so good that she was terrifying just as herself that switch was so quick every time yeah. it took me by surprise so Maud's reaction was quite easy because I was alarmed <laughs> I think that there historically seems to be a bit of snobbery around horror especially with film critics mm. and I do think there are films like St Maud which is sort of the discussions have just kind of gone on and on and it's always involved in any talk about awards do you think that that's changing now? Do you think horror is becoming a bit more acceptable in the mainstream and is being taken more seriously? I think so. And I, I don't know if that's because the horror genre is also becoming more inclusive. And so there is kind of different stories being made. It also less snobbery towards maybe low budget things, which lots of horror tends to be. But also I think the world is becoming more horrifying or more horrifying to people who previously didn't realise that it was. Mm-hmm. And so there is kind of... A thirst for that and I think there is a feeling of like everyone saying like in our world at the moment there's a monster and everyone like no there isn't so I feel there is a familiarity in horror that maybe like you always think your generation's different and nobody's felt the way you do but I do feel that I've grown up with, with a certain amount of like propaganda gaslighting that makes horror seem more familiar mm. I love how unpretentious the horror genre is as well there's kind of a real openness to new things. It kind of feels like the fringe festival part of the film industry, which is where people like cut their teeth as well. And I think that's wonderful. And the fans love to talk about it. That's been wonderful with St. Ward is like, it's become so much more to me hearing what other people are thinking about it. I'm really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. What do you like most about working with those maybe slightly younger, newer filmmakers, directors like Rose Glass and also Craig Roberts, although he's not really a new filmmaker now, but he's still incredibly young. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Disgustingly young. Yeah, that year when I was working with both of them, I just, I really just could not believe my luck. But also they are in lots of ways very similar, the two of them. And actually I told Craig all the films that Rose wanted me to watch for St. Maud. And he was like, oh, well, if she wants you to watch this, watch this and this and this and this. And they are like quite in tune. But also I think they both are very gentle, kind people. And that comes across in the feeling of the crew on set and in the film that they create. Like particularly Craig, and I think Rose is kind of like this as well, but Craig just has so many ideas and so much that he wants to kind of give it's not even like what he wants to say. It's more like, I feel he's like offered us loads of things. I'm like, yes, mm, mm, 
I'll take that. Yeah, and just again, I think Eternal Beauty is one of the kindest films I've ever seen. And that's a wonderful thing to give to us. So what were the similar films that united the directors of Eternal Beauty and St. Maud? They both love Bergman Uh and certain early Polanski films. Mm-hmm. With David Copperfield as well, because there's people kind of dealing with mental health stuff there. I was very lucky to be in a big cross section of exploration of mental health. And I think that's what's kind of, that's why I feel also so lucky to be like alive now with like such access to things. No one film can represent one thing. And I was very lucky in that mm-hmm. year to be able to explore very deeply like a specific thing through the eyes of like three geniuses. No, that's very fascinating. We were talking earlier, kind of jokingly, that Craig Roberts is kind of the most prolific Welsh filmmaker working today, quite quietly. He is. And I personally, I'm really fascinated. I grew up in Manchester and I'm particularly fascinated by the representations of areas of the country Mm. on screen. You know, most people know Manchester because of Coronation Street and they think everything's a cobbled street. (laughs) And so growing up in Wales, I wondered, what did you see? uh, You know, the misrepresentation or representation of Wales on screen? Well, I think in general, there's just not been very much we're kind of lucky that we've not been kind of fetishized by the Americans in the way that the Irish has, but it does mean that there's been like fewer stories about us. Mm-hmm. There's actually a really good podcast called Desolation Radio that talked about this, like what is the canon of Welsh cinema? And they kind of really struggle to find many films. Like there's Twin Town, but still I've shown Twin Town over lockdown. I like told those people to watch it and nobody knew who it was. This is me again thinking that everybody knew something I did. They didn't. Um, there wasn't a wealth of it. I didn't grow up watching Welsh films and TV. I watched Welsh language stuff, but that Mm -hmm. is now much more funded, but there wasn't a huge amount being able to happen. There's an amazing film called Hairdwin, which is about a poet who won the chair at the Eisteddfod, which is a poetry competition, but he'd already been killed in World War I. And I watched it in school and thinking now that was one of the first Welsh films I'd actually seen. So there just wasn't very much. So Craig just kind of storming through making all of these is just great. But I think actually Submarine was the first time I saw myself, my little life represented. And I just couldn't believe that Yasmin Page wasn't Welsh because she was just so Welsh. It wasn't just her accent, she was so Welsh. It's funny you mentioned Twin Town. I lived in a house at university with a lad from Wales and he made us all watch Twin Town. Yeah. Saying, this, this, is, this is Welsh cinema, this is Wales right here. Um, and we didn't know what to make of it because by that point it was quite an old film, really. You mentioned Yasmin Page pulls off a Welsh accent pretty well yeah. in Submarine. What's so wonderful in St Maud is hearing you with your Welsh accent. Yeah. Is that something that's important to you? Because so many actors who can be chameleonic and adopt all sorts of accents yeah. can be quite successful in America or wherever. But it's something quite special about hearing them with their home accent. Yeah, I hadn't realised it was important to me until I was in Canada watching it and was just like, this doesn't fit here. And yet here it is. And also that bit where Maud hears Welsh being spoken I was just I felt like quite emotional about it and then it was kind of like oh my god I'm becoming the lovely my dad is terrified of me becoming but I hadn't realized that Rose had kind of given me something very special in allowing me to do that yeah and also there is so much darkness and creepiness and weirdness in so much Welsh mythology but also kind of like in the landscape of Wales there's toughness and eeriness and things so there's a lot to explore and I was like oh this fits actually very well this one. Mm. So 
Wales is definitely a landscape that's underserved on screen, a beautiful yeah. landscape as well. I love the image of you as a teenager going to the big glitzy Cardiff cinema yeah. and watching Lord of the Rings, which is yeah. uh, our portal into the New Zealand landscape, which we feel we know so well because it is Middle Earth. Yeah. And now you're there filming. Yes. What was it like sort of stepping through the cinema screen in a way to go to New Zealand? Just incredible. I don't think New Zealand is like real. Like, maybe this is just because I was obsessed with the films, but like I've been so obsessed with New Zealand and I swear that so many of my friends and so many British people are obsessed with New Zealand. I've always thought of it as a home of stunts when I don't actually know that much about stunts, but because of the films, all these people kind of playing all these orbs and stuff, I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> it also, some Welsh people have described New Zealand as Wales on steroids. And it does feel like that in terms of the landscape. There's a familiarity and also it's like, but it's massive. But also the landscape is so amazing. It's no wonder so many creatives come from here. It talks to you, the land, like it bubbles. It does what it wants. It feels like Middle Earth. <laughs> we talk quite a lot about how cinema is now obviously blending with the television. Mm. And you've been in like some incredibly big, much talked about TV dramas, you know, His Dark Materials and Dracula. I think that line just doesn't seem to necessarily exist. But do you feel like that when you're on set of those quite epic productions? Can you differentiate between making a film and a TV series just when you're in the moment? The thing is, my career has been, I've been very lucky to work quite a lot, but I've been in lots of kind of small parts in both when I've done film or TV. And so it's always been a sense of fleeting, oh my God, got to make the most of this. And it wasn't until St. Maud that I had the feeling of being on a film throughout. And then now this is the first series that I've had a film feeling of being on throughout, but it's been in the most bizarre year and everything yeah. ever. So I don't feel I really know yet. You go up for loads of big parts when you're out of drama school and stuff, which was basically your agent getting a casting director to get to know you that you're very unlikely to get. And you're like, oh, I'd love to get that. And I feel it's worked out very well for me in terms of I was able to play small roles that I could be chilled on set for and just watch. So, yeah, I don't know, but I may find out. But I'm not sure at the moment because it always just felt like quick experience, experience, experience. Then it was gone. You also made one of my most hated characters growing up. Yeah. I was forced to study Dracula uh -huh. and Mina. I just have this like voice in my head of my college tutor just saying Mina <laughs> because he just hated her so much and that hatred kind of like dribbled down to me. And you just made her just like this incredible woman. And so that was just, I loved the fact that we can play around with these like traditional characters and forms now we don't always have to adhere to what Bram Stoker thought that women should be like yeah I just thought that was such a fantastic representation of someone yeah also I loved what Armando did with Dora that she wasn't just conveniently killed I really kind of love that Armando talks about you in that film you know that people didn't know that you were two characters in that film yeah. and what a testament that was to you how was that being on set kind of like those two different characters well I was lucky with Dora that she has completely ridiculous hair and completely ridiculous clothes. So that did kind of help me a lot. But I remember there was one moment where Amanda was like, maybe she should be a bit more giggly here. And I was like, I can't giggle yet. That's for Dora. And I was like, wow, I'm so professional. And I'm like, I was also lucky they didn't cross over at all. Mm. So I finished Clara and then we went to Dora. And I wonder if there would have been much more like, you're Welsh now suddenly as Clara. So that was quite a nice 
divide. But I still can't believe that I played two roles in that because I've not really seen stuff where people play two roles. And I just think Armando's so cool for doing something weird as well. Yeah. I love that. And I also love that it was a love letter to kindness and motherhood that he was saying with that casting that I thought was just lovely. And yeah, just still kind of processing that, to be honest. It's the thing about David Copperfield that's probably the most radical in the adaptation is that you expect Armando Iannucci from The Thick of It and yeah. Death of Stalin to find something really dark and bitter, but the most radical thing you can do in comedy in 2019 is show goodness. and Yeah, and the most radical thing in general, just showing kindness. Yeah, it's like a gentle protest. So, more of the big question. Uh-huh. How do you like your popcorn, salty ah. or sweet? Or would you go for a different snack or no snacks? I have sweet and salty, but I've still not figured out how to combine them in the cinema. And I end up like digging and losing lots of it on the floor. I feel so guilty about the (laughs) amount of popcorn that I have just like thrown around me over the years. And also, I remember when I was a teenager and we were going to watch, I think it might have been The Bogeyman. And I opened a bag of M&Ms and they just exploded and very slowly fell on the floor. And I was kind of like, this is the most embarrassing, awful thing that's ever happened to me. But then also remember everyone like standing on them on the way out and being like, this poor cinema worker's going to have to pick up all those stupid M&Ms that I've dropped. So I've been very messy in the cinema with my popcorn and my M&Ms in trying to get the perfect mixture of salt and sweet. And are you like a take a bottle of wine into a screening kind of girl or...? What are you drinking when you're watching a film? I'm very stressed about drinking too much of anything and needing loo. That is like a big yeah. thing that I try to navigate. And I also, I'm trying to, do you know when you wake up in the morning and you need the loo, but you don't go because you don't want to get out of bed and then you just regret it because you've just been like, you've not gone back to sleep because you obviously need the loo. And I do that in the cinema and I'm like, maybe I should go to the loo now. No, this seems like quite an important bit. No, I'll wait for this bit, but then I will go to the loo. And then you end up just missing that whole scene because you're deciding whether or not you should go to the loo. So, yeah. But water, just want to stay hydrated, stay alert. (laughs) Are there any like big scenes that you remember missing just from going to the loo from any films? Like I missed Patrick Stewart dying in Logan because I went to the toilet. I missed the big, important turnaround moment in Gone Girl. Oh, no. Like, yeah that was a big one and I was just like what is going on that was a really bad bit to miss actually that film really made little sense (laughs) gosh so let's recap this evening at the pictures then so we're watching Groundhog Day yeah even though I feel so stressed about this I don't know if it's Groundhog Day I'm watching Groundhog Day and you can all join me if you want that's what it's meant for. <laughs> I don't think you'd have any resistance from me or Rihanna here. That's a five-star right. masterpiece in my opinion. So watching Groundhog Day, we're at the... Panath Pier Pavilion. So only about 15 of us can go. <laughs> okay, okay, it's, it's quite a select intimate. screening. Yeah, I like it. And we have salt and sweet popcorn and exploding bags of M&Ms <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> with a bottle of water. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I think that's perfect. It's a very sensible trip to the theatre. <laughs> yes. Morfith Clark, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. It's been lovely to be on it. A massive thank you to Morfith for joining us from quite literally the other side of the world. You know, Rihanna, when we can travel again, I would love to go and visit Wales on steroids. Not Wales on steroids. Wales on steroids, as Morfith calls New Zealand. That's all I'm going to think of now whenever I think of New Zealand. (laughs) 
<laughs> if you haven't been baptized by Saint Maud yet, what are you doing? Between us, we've watched it five, six times. Watch it as soon as you can. But not at 8pm tonight. That is if you're listening to us on Thursday the 18th of February, because tonight, over on Facebook and YouTube, of course, you'll be watching the British Independent Film Awards. It'll be a great night, and we'll be here tomorrow with our last episode of the week. Join me and Michael for our conversation with Reggie Yates. We'll see you then. This is My Cinema is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. The show is hosted by Rihanna Dillon and Michael Leader. It's produced by Jake Cunningham, Annie Hughes and Harold McShiel. And we're edited by Content is Queen. 